0: Today's topic is called The Two Women, Part Two. Hello, my radio friends. It's great to be with you once again. I hope it has all gone well with you this last week. I also hope that you've remembered that you are special to your heavenly Father. It was he who created mankind and he has no desire to abandon anyone because he loves his creation. This week we will continue the study about the two women as depicted in the book of Revelation. The Bible has a lot to say about the corrupt woman as we heard last week. Do you remember what a woman represents in prophecy? Yes, that's right. A woman represents a system of worship. It's interesting to note that in the history of the world, worship has been an enormously important issue at times in the past. It's my understanding that as time goes on, who one worships will become the single most important issue above everything else, including refugee problems, terrorism, starvation, climate change, and so on. The reason is that mankind is caught up in a great controversy where Satan, the rebel hates God, and is trying to draw people away from God. It's fairly obvious that worship is already taking the stage of importance, especially with the rapid rise of the Muslim faith, a growing intolerance towards Christians in certain areas, and strange as it may seem, the erosion of certain human rights. In Revelation 12, John has a vision about the other woman. He writes, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for twelve hundred and sixty days. And then from verses seven to twelve, the prophet John writes about Satan who is called the dragon or that ancient serpent and of his activities that he is the opposer of God and was cast out of heaven to the earth. From verse 13 to the end of the chapter we read When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river, to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Before going any further, we should try to understand some of the symbols used in these verses. The woman, as you should already know, is a system of worship. The woman described here is of heavenly origin, as she is clothed with celestial objects. This woman is founded in God. The dragon is is the same identity as the ancient serpent. These two names, that is ancient serpent and dragon, apply to Satan. The stars swept out of heaven are angels who teamed up with Satan. The child is Jesus. The desert is a sparsely populated region. Very few people would live there. A time represents a year of years, that is 360 years, as a Jewish year had 360 days. A time times and half a time represents 360 years plus 720 years plus 180 years equals twelve hundred and sixty years. Water or waters represents large populations of people that is highly populated areas. The seven heads and the ten horns represent the Holy Roman Empire. When the control of the Roman Empire was handed over to the Pope in 538 AD Christians who wanted to remain true to God were hounded, persecuted and martyred, that is, they were killed. History tells us that millions, some estimate up to 150 million people, were martyred during the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages because they chose to remain faithful to God. The 1260 years lasted from beginning in 538 when the Pope became the ruler of the Holy Roman Empire and ending in 1798 when the Pope was taken prisoner by the French general, General Berthier. Satan originally intended to destroy Jesus, but he was unsuccessful in the attempt. Since then Satan has been out to destroy God's people but at the same time God has not left his people unaided and he provided a place where his people could live and worship. All through Europe during the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages Christians were being persecuted and many fled for their lives often going into isolated mountainous areas for their own safety and in order to practice their religion. In the steep, inaccessible areas of the Alps and Pyrenees Mountains, people groups such as the Waldenses and the Albigenses remained relatively safe for hundreds of years. The Piedmont Valley in northern Italy was one such stronghold, although many attempts were made to destroy the Christians who lived there. The Huguenots were another people group who could be described as God's people. You can understand more of what the prophecy says of how God had prepared a place in the desert, that is an area of small population, where the woman should flee. The question arises of why would Satan try to wipe out good people? People of high principles, people who were caring and trustworthy. It was because these people were not willing to accept the rules and regulations of the then prevailing Roman Catholic religion's religious system. A more basic answer is that Satan hates God. He hates anything that is God-like, including people who obey and serve God. If he, that is Satan, can get people to practice false worship, that is to worship another being or idol, to worship in a way that is unacceptable to God, then he has succeeded. And another thing, Satan gets human beings, in this case the church, to do his dirty work for him. The offspring of the pure woman are described in Revelation 12 in the latter part of verse 17. The Bible says that these people Obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. In another place, in Revelation 14.12, God's faithful people are called saints. The text says, This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. And then we read this in Revelation 19, verses 9 and 10. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. These people hold to the testimony of Jesus, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now we're going to have a little break for a moment, and we'll come back after this.
1: the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more And the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair When the saints on earth shall gather over on the other shore When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there Labor for the Master from the dawn to setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then, when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be traveling down the king's highway.
0: I just read to you before the break of two identifying things that identify God's people. They were that they, firstly, obey the commandments of God, and secondly, have the testimony of Jesus. But there is another identifying characteristic of God's people. We find this in 1 John 4 verses 11 and 12. It says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also should love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The third characteristic of God's people then is that they love God and love others. That doesn't mean that they're all lovey-dovey, but it does mean that they are kind, helpful, respectful of others, and want to do good rather than bad to other people. Now, what does that other phrase, testimony of Jesus, mean? A testimony is basically a declaration, a witness statement, A testimony can be about something and is given by someone. As far as God's people are concerned, the testimony about Jesus is that they realize that the only way to be saved is through the sacrifice of Jesus who gave his life as a substitute for our lives. The Bible says in Acts 4 verse 12, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that name, that name is Jesus Christ. The testimony of Jesus was and is that God loves us supremely. 1 John chapter 4 verses 10 to 11 says this in these words. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. To summarise then, the three main characteristics of God's people are that they obey God's commandments, that they have the testimony of Jesus that means they understand that they're saved by grace which is the goodness of God and consequently they are people of goodwill to others some of you who listen to this program may consider yourselves to be Christians and regard yourselves as God's people how then Do you rate yourself? Do you keep the commandments of God? Do you believe and accept the sacrifice of Jesus to atone for your sins? Are you kind and respectful and have a special regard for other people? If you can answer yes to each of these questions, you're on the right track. Earlier on in today's program, I pointed out that as time progresses, there will be a growing intolerance toward Christians, and strange as it may seem, through the erosion of certain human rights. For the rest of today's program, I want to share with you some recent developments which clearly show that the Christian church is under attack. Interestingly, Many of these developments are in the United States of America, the home of religious freedom, founded by the Pilgrim Fathers who sailed across from Europe so they could practice their religious faith and ideals away from persecution, which plagued Europe at the time. By the way, South Australia is another place where other Christians came in order to escape religious persecution. So what is happening in the world today? To put it plainly, it seems as if the world has gone crazy. God, his laws, and anything to do with God is slowly being eroded from society. Human rights groups are favouring minority groups. Secularisation is increasing. Did you know that the word Christmas, such as as used in the, uh, the expression Christmas holidays and Christmas festivities, has been legislated out of existence in many places in the USA? It has been removed, they say, so that minority groups will not be offended. In Texas, Georgia... Oklahoma, Kansas, Oregon, Indiana, and New Jersey, legislation has been put in place to ban the word Christmas. A recent national report edited by Ted Cruz and Sarah Palin has reported that the President of USA, that's Barack Hussein Obama, wants to bring in an order to ban the word Christmas from all federal property in the United States. It very much looks like the dragon mentioned in Revelation chapter 12 is doing all he can to destroy Christianity on planet Earth. I'll read to you a paragraph from a recent article by Lee Dugong, a journalist writing about a new book called The War on Christmas. He says this, Pretty soon the Christmas wars will be on again. We'll see headlines about schools banning Christmas carols, banning Christmas trees, and department stores banning the words, Merry Christmas. So this book, by Fox News anchor John Gibson, could hardly be more timely. This is a book that will really tick you off, even if you're the kind of Christian who can't abide shopping mall Christmas, Santa Claus, snowman, reindeer, etc. Gibson wants you to know that for those who direct the war on Christmas, there's no difference between the popularized, secularized, beat you over the head with it, commercial Christmas, and the most profound religious understanding. Of the birth of Jesus Christ. To them it's all just Christianity and according to Gibson that's what they're out to purge from American life. In some states it is illegal to say Merry Christmas. Instead the greeting has been changed to be happy holiday so that probably would mean a christmas tree has to be called a holiday tree and this sort of thing is not only happening in the united states similar attacks on christians and christianity are occurring in canada and parts of europe let me tell you of two recent happenings in canada one of alberta's top schools Is known as the Weber Academy. It is a multicultural school and also a non-denominational school with a high academic performance. The school makes it plain to all students and parents that religious activities are not encouraged or permitted. Two Muslim students wanted to say their Muslim prayers in the school, but the school did not have a particular place for these two students to go to say their prayers, particularly in light of the fact that this school made it known that religious activities were not tolerated. The two Muslim students complained to their parents, and the parents went straight to the government. The Government Human Rights Commission subsequently fined the school $26,000, which was paid to the two families for pain and suffering. The fines were made on the grounds that by not allowing the students to pray at school amounted to a case of discrimination. Yet, no students were to pray at the school, whether they were Muslim, Christian, or Calathumpian. The two Muslim students were treated no differently than any of the others. This case was not actually a case against Christianity, but it is a case where the Human Rights Commission conceded to the wishes of non-Christians. Commentators agree that it is highly probable that if Christian parents complained about their children not having a prayer room at the school, no action would have been taken by the Human Rights Commission. To me, the situation I have just described is a real indictment on modern society. Long-standing Christian values are being ignored or turned upside down. It looks like justice has gone mad the two Muslim students could have easily enrolled at another school where religious activities were tolerated. Here's another example from Canada of attacks on the Christian church and the Christian way of living. In Quebec, Canada, in the town of Saguenay, town council meetings for many decades began with a short prayer. Recently, the Supreme Court handed down a ruling preventing the town council from starting their meetings with a prayer. Now, these things have recently happened in a so-called Christian country, let alone what has happened to Christians in places like India, Ethiopia, Egypt, Egypt, and Muslim dominated countries. The prophet John wrote, and I quoted you from this prophecy in Revelation 12 early in today's programme, the dragon was enraged at the woman and make, went to make war on her offspring. Is it happening? It certainly is. I've given you only a couple of examples today of some of the things that are happening right now, God's people are under attack. In the King James Version of the Bible, Revelation twelve seventeen is translated this way, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus. I have no doubts that many Christians will abandon practising their beliefs because of pressure from within so-called religious organisations and or from pressure from secular organisations. But the Bible speaks of a remnant. That means that although many may abandon their faith, Some, such as back in the times of the Waldensian people, will continue to be faithful and true to God. Eternal life is given to the faithful ones. Eternal death will be the lot of the unfaithful ones. It all boils down to whether or not you will be faithful to God keeping his commandments, and relying on the merits of Jesus to cover you. It's a big issue. God calls us, but Satan, the enemy, tries to force us to turn our backs on God. Whom will you serve? Who will you worship? Will you be part of those whom the Bible describes As the pure woman? Or will you fall for the tricks of the enemy? I want to declare to you listeners that it is my intention to be faithful to God and serve him no matter what. Will you join me? I really hope you will. I sincerely hope you choose to be faithful to God. The stakes are high. If you cave in to so- social pressures, it'll mo- be sorry, it'll most likely result in you losing eternal life. Staying faithful to God may be hard, but the reward for being faithful far surpasses anything this world is able to offer. Well, again, we've run out of time. But until next week, I wish you God's blessings and peace and joy.